Hey up friends, how's it going? It's Matt, you listen to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast, a show where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Feels like a little while since I've done one of these, probably a couple of weeks. It's been going on, I've been away, went to Camber Sands, that was nice. Been doing the usual pissing around, but now I am back. Big thanks for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoy it if it's your first visit to my virtual shores because of my guest Leo Sharp, then I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, I've got UK skateboarding royalty on the show this week. Sorry, Leo. I don't know Leo super well, but from what I do know, I think he'll probably cringe a little bit at that description. But I stand by it, and to prove my point, I'm going to read something. I don't really do this that often, but I'm going to read something out from our mutual pal, Wig Warland, which Wig sent me as I prep for this interview. That's something I actually do quite frequently, is do my due diligence on guests' research, I believe proper journalists call it. You know, I get hold of mutual friends, I get hold of people I don't know, just to make sure I'm fully fully drilled and briefed, really, and treat the interviewee with the respect that their time deserves. So that's what I did in this case. And this is what I got back from Wig. Wig writes, Leo Sharp is a modern British skateboarding hero. The fact that his photography is brilliant and inspired is easy to see. What may not be so obvious from the screen or the magazine page is his ability to seamlessly move from scene to scene, city to city throughout the country within skateboarding and effortlessly integrate himself into them all. He's such a personable person, such a kind and wonderful human being. Everybody who meets him instantly warms to him. It could be because of this easygoing sense of grace that skaters feel a sense of loyalty towards him and therefore seem to do their very best for him. He's also got a good sense of when and how to cajole if needed, which is also a hugely important skill in this arena. I'm often astonished when I see the results in the pictures and if I'm lucky, I can get him on the phone and discuss how he managed to make it all happen. Skateboarding photography may seem simple, like you can just turn up at the spot with a camera, but so much needs to happen before anything can happen at all. Forms studied, plans communicated, outfits discussed, weather considered. It all takes time and understanding and Leo handles all this with ease. He's both a true professional and a true enthusiast. These things are often mutually exclusive and very rare to find in a single individual. I'm very happy that he's still involved in documenting skateboarding in Britain. The UK scene deserves somebody so loyal and somebody so talented. Hope that's not too florid for you, Matt. Not in the slightest wig, you absolute legend. And I chose to read that out because, you know, firstly, what an absolutely fantastic insight into the art of skate photography from one of the best ever, wig. And somebody, I will just interject at this point, who I've asked to come on the podcast about 10 times now. And, you know, he's finally cracking. So I'm hoping we'll get there at some point. I'm sure he's listening. So that was for you, wig. Um, But yeah, you know, I I obviously normally do these introductions, but wig put it way better than I'm ever going to put it. So I thought I'd just go with that. Anyway, right now, Leo has contributed yet again to the culture of UK skateboarding with his new venture, The Skateboarding, the Skateboarders, excuse me, Companion, the new print magazine he set up with friends and fellow UK skate lifers, Ryan Gray and Matt Law. Now, it might not sound much, but the simple act of walking into a newsagent or skate shop 
Getting your hands on a new print skate mag is a quintessential part of being a UK skateboarder. And with the Skateboarder's Companion, this trio have brought that simple ritual back to these shores. I think for that alone, they should be applauded. And that would be reason enough to get Leo on the pod. But as you're going to hear, there was plenty for us to get stuck into in what turned out to be a lovely, ruminative conversation about his life and career, in which we covered plenty of the themes that Wig raised and a load more for good measure. I'll be back at the end, but here's me and Leo. Enjoy. And uh, and you've just been for a skate, you were saying? Yep, just down the local multi-story car park. Very, very glamorous. Nice. How's that? Yeah, good. We've got a few of us that go every sort of Tuesday and Thursday night and uh, we bring sort of various ledges and kickers and flat bars and things down and um, pretend that we can still skateboard. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like my sort of skating these days as well. Everyone like fighting around, kind of, yeah, manuals. Did you see there was, um, there was a, you may, obviously remember Radlands, remember the BBC logo that Radlands had from years ago? There was a guy who kind of, Saw that, copied it, and made a made a little sticker thing called Dadlands. So, oh so, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, um, do you, obviously you know Horsley, but do you know Mike? Is it as well? They've got their groans brigade yes. yeah, yeah. thing. I know Mike. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, Mike, I think he's going to send me some stickers, maybe. But yeah, I like it, man. It's cool. Mm. Pressure's off. How, Mid- you know, once you, once you get to this age, it's great. Midlife, midlife um, skateboard companies. There's uh, definitely a pr- proliferation of those now with all of us getting to uh, our 40s and 50s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah. So um, you were saying when we were chatting, because obviously we've had a bit of back and forth before doing this. So you, you've got a day job as well, right? Is that yes. is that the case? As, mm-hmm. See, obviously we'll talk about your photography, but you're also... So what's the day job? My day job is uh, working for a skateboard distribution called Rock Solid. And we, I do, I just do sales. I'm lucky enough to do them from my kitchen table. <laughs> so nice. I just, uh, yeah, I just, I just on the phone most of the day. Um, Rock Solid itself is based up in Bristol. We've got a warehouse there and we bring in a bunch of skateboard brands like Magenta, Butter Goods, Isle, um, Hotel Blue. I mean, I mean, yeah, it was, there's, there's about 40 different brands that we do. So I could go on about that, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to be able to just get up out of bed and go and sit at the table and do my job. So yeah and have you always balanced it like that then have you always kind of had a few things going on at once i mean not not years ago i I mean when i was working for sidewalk that was full-time so you know i'd go out and shoot photos sometimes seven days a week i mean i try and only do if it was like a normal week i'm trying to do like four or five but problem is you end up because you love skateboarding you just end up going and doing it you know someone will ring you up and say oh i know it's your day off but do you want to come and shoot this and and you just end up doing it so (laughs) Yeah. See, so see, so you were, you were like, yeah, you were at it. So, but then when, because, so, sidewalk, you were photo editor, right? And that was that when it was like you were, you were in Abingdon, you were based there. I um, so sidewalk was based in Abingdon, but I, when I was photo editor, I, I lived in various places. I lived in Manchester for a bit. I lived in um, near Cheltenham in the Cotswolds for a bit. I spent most of my time in Bristol, though. I think I, I think one of the reasons to move into the Cotswolds was I wasn't in Bristol because if I had been. I literally would have been just consumed by skateboarding 24 seven. So it was good to kind of, to leave the city and go out to the countryside and try and not think about it sometimes. Right. Give yourself a bit of distance. Hi. Right. What, so that was something you were aware of? Um, Yeah. I mean, we lived, I mean, we lived in Manchester for about, 
don't know, about six or seven years. And then we did a, a, a myself and Kirsty did a round the world trip and we kind of took a few countries in and, you know, obviously did a bit of skating, did a bit of photography. When we came back, I was like quite conscious that I was going to come back and work the sidewalk again. So I was like, right, we need to live somewhere where I'm not kind of immersed in it. Because in Manchester, it was like, it's one of the, you know, sort of biggest skate scenes in the country, which was brilliant at the time. But, you know, we were sort of a bit younger, obviously didn't have kids then. And, um, you know, you could kind of do a bit more. But like when uh, Little Miss was born, Little Balin, you can see behind us on the wall, she's 10 now. It was like, right, you're, you know, we, you need family time. So you need to be able to get away from it because I, I know what I'm like. I just, I'm just a skate ran. <laughs> if I could do it all the time, I'd do it all the time. So, right. Yeah. So you were like, okay, let's give it a bit of separation. Yep. Um, cause you'd, so, and how long were you at Sidewalk? Cause I think, cause I used to do, I mean, if you weren't at Abingdon, I think I, so I worked at Permanent from like 96 to like 2000 and, five maybe so i can't believe we've never met that seems quite random really I'm I, I, so, so we would have a meeting um at the office i don't know like maybe once a month something like that and i would drive down from a lot of, i think when we used to have the meetings in abingdon because i'm trying to think it moved to factory in 2006 right yeah that was just before i left yeah yeah so i so i lived in manchester till 2003 and then i would have driven from the Cotswolds have meetings at the office. I mean, yeah, I just, I can't believe our paths never crossed because I'm sure. Yeah, it seems, it seems pretty random that. Yeah. You were maybe I mean, there that... in the day and I would turn up like later on in the day and then we'd have meetings into the evening. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I think we did because I was never based in Abingdon because you must, assuming you met Edley and you probably yeah, of course. met, yeah, yeah. you met, yeah. like, and obviously I'm assuming you know Ed Blumfield pretty well. Just down the hill. We, did, we, we, we didn't go for a bike ride this lunchtime. <laughs> he's in Toro, <laughs> isn't did. he? Fuck. Yeah. I forgot that. Yeah, he's I in surf, Toro. I surf with him all the time. So. yeah yeah right yeah i keep forgetting he's down there so yeah it's but i was i was always based so we were always doing winters away or i was in brighton and same thing really like we would go to um go to Armandon for like planning meetings but not that regularly like every couple of months or whatever yeah so right so you so you did that and so did you follow um sidewalk to factory then yes uh I'm trying to think how it went. So yeah, I, I I did follow it to factory and I worked there until 2010. But again, I think I went to the factory office a total of about three times in five years that I left. So, you know, I, I tried to go there as little as possible. And, you know, my job was being on the road anyway. So it was, you know, it was always like that. Yeah, you had the best the best of it. Oh, is my phone telling me I need, need to go to bed? Um, Sorry about this. Yeah. Keeping you up. No, no, no. It's funny, isn't it? Like I've I've just really noticed recently that um, I get these alerts the time I need to turn my headphones down, and I get these I get these alerts on my phone telling me that I need to like go to bed and shit. <laughs> <It's like, laughs> fucking hell! Wow. All right, bit uh bit mumsy. Um, right. So you, because uh, if I'm so I've obviously been doing a little bit, of, you know, know know a little bit of your your story and been chatting to some of our mutual friends, like chatting to Wig a little bit, um chatted to yeah chatted to a few people and and obviously like um it, and neil i know a little bit as well because he listens to the podcast he, you did the milton Keynes book with right neil Bowen, um, yeah. yeah and and like so i obviously you're back you start you're from milton Keynes, is that right and you kind of you grew up on the in the milton Keynes scene right i grew up in milton Keynes. Yeah, i was born in london but um, my parents moved to just outside of milton Keynes when i was three so yeah kind of grew grew up at my formative years in milton Keynes. yeah and that was your way into skateboarding was it 
I think so. Yeah, just I mean, I I you know got my first skateboard and skated in the in the village in rural Northamptonshire where I lived, but it was it wasn't long before we kind of you know Milton Keynes was maybe a twenty minute drive. So you know, well, when we were younger, we get sort of various parents would be giving us a lift up to the bus station. That's where we skated as little groms, and uh, yeah, just kind of just carried on after that, really. So it's you can't not be a skateboarder with Milton Keynes there, really. It's, it was kind of like the perfect, like, I would say marble at the time, but ever since I've, I've known it's polished granite, not marble. It's a, it's a polished granite mar uh, mecca, really, like for skateboarding. So um, it's funny, like you know, when I first started skateboarding in the 80s there were you know first time I was at the bus station was probably 1987 and there were hundreds of skateboarders then you know but and then down to like slowly dwindled over the years to the early 90s where there were probably I think at the sort of the thinnest of times I could probably count yeah I could probably count the amount of skateboarders in Milton Keynes on two hands that regularly skateboarded probably about eight or nine of us um, and that included a couple of friends that would get the train from Lane Buzzard and come and meet us at the bus station there and then it kind of you know the numbers grew again into the mid 90s and obviously like carried on sort of rising from there but yeah i'd say probably i don't know like 93 94 maybe the, maybe 92 93 it's kind of thinnest there are about nine of us i mean it's such a great capsule of british skateboarding isn't it the whole milk king's tale and obviously you've documented that more than anyone really and the book is is you know clearly about that when, when you were a kid it's probably going to sound like a stupid question like did you kind of realize what you had did you realize like quite what a, I'm not talking about the scene so much, but like, you know, the, the actual environment that you had, cause it, cause it was so unique, wasn't it? And the whole story of it about how it became almost like appreciated by the council and the council decided to sort of, yeah, okay. We need to like not commemorate this, but we need to like acknowledge what this is culturally and we need to give it some credence. Like, you know, that's, that's a brilliant part of it. But did you, when you were, when you were a kid, like were you, were you aware of that or were you all just skating? Um, I think a bit of both really. I think, um, I think we didn't really travel that much as such. I mean, I remember, I remember when I was kind of old enough, like maybe sort of 14, 15, 16. And, you know, my dad had sort of had let me go to London on my own with my mates to skate and we could hop on at Milton Keynes Central train station and be at Euston in 40 minutes and we'd go and skate south bank and we go and skate shell center and all of those amazing spots there so we knew that there were other good skate spots out there but i think we always thought that they the grass is always greener isn't it even though we, we had great spots in milton Keynes, they were spots that we skated all the time so if we go to south bank and shell center we thought they were way better because it was a bit different and they were kind of you know and you'd see those in rad magazine and be like whoa curtis mccann did that over there or you know i've seen um I've seen a picture of Johnny Wilson or Winston Witter or someone doing that on there. And, you know, I, I want to try and do that. You know, Alex Mould did like 180 nose grind on the Shell Centre rail. And I wanted to try and do that. Do you know what I mean? It was, I think it was because those spots were magazines. Not necessarily they were better, but they were sort of skated by people that we looked up to. Do you know what I mean? So it was kind of, yes, we had good spots in Milton Keynes. And don't get me wrong, they were good. But it was, I just think London was the most documented place in the media, maybe. So it was more of a treat to go there, perhaps. Yeah, but it's a big part of like the whole thing though the travel yeah. isn't it and like exploring yeah. and, and you know try experience new spots i mean it's absolutely especially, especially when you're a kid isn't it it's like you know you just want to go and check these places out and you want to you want to experience it and, and also skate them as well yeah absolutely and skating's always been about travel for me as well it's like the most exciting part of it i mean back when i was 15 you could you know my dad would give me a tenner um, and that would be like enough money to buy a train ticket to london the travel card for the day and food and drink all day 
as well. Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah, no, just, I, I was the same. I was the yeah. same when I was a kid skating in Manchester, Fiverr, get the tram in, you know, can of Coke and a Mars bar <laughs> for, for lunch. You know what I mean? And then, and yeah, that's it. Skate all day. Yeah. That, yeah. that was the day really. Absolutely. Yeah. So when, I mean, the other amazing thing about Milton Keynes obviously is, is like from the start, you must've had just constant good skaters coming through because it, because even early on it had, you know, it was, it was, it was a stop, wasn't it? Because of the uniqueness of the bus station. Mm, so were you, we, sorry. Were, yeah. Were you, were you like, yeah, is that, is that what you were seeing again from that early, early time? I mean, people would, you know, people like professional skaters, like pros would come to skate Milton Keynes, like, um, Deathbox Skateboards was based in Brackley, so not too far away from Milton Keynes um, at the time in the 80s and early 90s. So Jeremy Fox would come over um, sort of now and again, and he had his eye on there. There was a local um, guy called, his nickname was Doc. Uh, his real name was Matthew Lindsay, but um, he wore his glasses, so everyone called him Doc. Oh, he, he, a, he used to be in the mags, didn't he? he used to yeah, be so, in, he, well, in, so his, his first picture in a magazine was on a death box board that Jeremy Fox had given him. And, and because Jeremy Fox had come down and given him this board, we all thought, Doc, sponsored by death box. He's going to be famous. <laughs> and, uh, and Wig, um, I think that was one of Wig's, or maybe Wig's first photo in Rad was a picture of Doc skating one of the black square bars at the bus station. Um, so, that I mean, that was, you know, that was amazing to have someone like Jeremy Fox come down. But my, one of my first sort of memories of, of um, a professional skater coming to Milton Keynes was Alex Mole. And then we got these little, I'm not even going to call them hubber ledges, but they were these little curb high hubber ledges that we call the concrete jibs. I remember um, we would just about be able to front side 50-50 them. And Alex Mole came down and we were kind of skating them one day or rolling down the hill actually past them. We were like, oh, there's someone skating the jibs. And we went there and it was, there he was, Alex Mole, nose blunt slide, 360 shove it like it was nothing. And we were just like, okay, looks like we've got some catching up to do. <laughs> Well, that, that's, um, that's what I was going to say, because that must have been amazing for the progression, because obviously when you mm -hmm. skate your little scene, you, you're all trying your best and you're all like, you know, watching the vids and reading the mags, whatever it is back then, try to progress, try to improve. But then, yeah, someone will, I mean, you'd see it in Manchester where I grew up a fair amount. I mean, I used to skate, we used to skate in Stratford and Sale, basically, like at the the, the precincts and you know like just little scratchy little spots but yeah occasionally someone good would come through and you'd be like fucking hell all right but yeah. like there it must have been constant because yeah. so which which must have been brilliant for like the progression because constant raising the bar i, I think i think when i was growing up it wasn't constant i mean there wasn't i guess you we didn't really have american pros visiting like there was street skating especially in the 80s it was more about vert then wasn't it um but start as you started to get into the 90s like i say like you had Alex Moore, you had Tom Penny would come and skate sometimes. Andy Scott, um, even though he's a vert skater, he, he, was, he was good on street when he was a kid as well. I remember him doing frontside late shove it's off the, the original marble blocks at the bus station, like really late. It'd be like, we couldn't work out what it was. It's like, hold on, he's ollieing. Hold on, it's boards shove it around. What's, what trick's that? You know, and you're kind of introduced. <laughs> you, you know, you wouldn't see videos that often. Obviously, you had the old PAL videos and, you know, the H Street videos and maybe like the early, um, um, was it useless wooden toys new di new deal videos you know so you'd see those but obviously they'd come out every what two years or something like that so new tricks few and far between one copy in town that everyone's borrowed and yeah, yeah not exactly they, like you could revise or anything yeah but the, i think hocus pocus actually the h street hocus pocus was the one i probably watched the most because that was um 
I got a really decent copy of that. I think one summer I probably watched it every single day before going skating. So I can still probably recite to you all of the, um, yeah, all of the tunes that were kind of made specifically for the video and kind of everything that everyone says as well. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. There. I watched it recently. It's on YouTube, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's great now that you can kind of access all this stuff, isn't it? So what about photography? Like, when, when did you start shooting? Was that was that hand in hand? Kind of, with, yeah. With, I had with, a, your, with your interest in skating? Yeah, I had, a, I had a camera when I was about seven or eight before I started skating, but I didn't really, you know, I got one for a birthday and sort of used it a little bit, but didn't really take to it. But I had just, um, when I was maybe 13 years old, I had a, just a point and shoot camera and uh none of my friends had any cameras so one day we were kind of like well you know we, we you, the, the, you'd see the mags and you'd be like oh what would be like what do you reckon we look like in pictures well i said oh, I, i've got a camera at home so i'll bring it out we'll buy a film together you know what was a roll of kodak gold back then was probably i don't know like five or six quid was it so we'd sort of club together buy the roll of film it's 24 exposures there are four of us in our crew so you know that's six pictures each so i mean six pictures that 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 we would have of us because that was what mattered the pictures of you so you get anyone else would take it and then we take it to one hour processing in, in the Milton Keynes shopping center and sit outside boots for an hour and then you get these amazing pictures of yourself back again you know and you could see whoa is that what I look like skating you know because we didn't have any videos of us or anything then and there was no way of making videos well we did make some bit when we were older but, but yeah like our first kind of memories of images of us were with these pictures shot on my point and shoot camera um, which has always kind of fascinated me because, you know, I was always fascinated by pictures in magazines, especially skate magazines and how colorful they were. And, you know, a lot of the time, even the pic- some of the pictures in early rad magazines that weren't in London were kind of ones that Tim Lake and Boyce would have got from American photographers. And, you know, they usually have an American on the cover until a bit later. And it might be like, I don't know, like John Montesi or like Mark Gonzalez or whoever. And they'd be like these beautiful blue skies. And, you know, they'd always be like these amazing colors and I'd be like, wow. I want to do that, you know, like, and that, that was kind of always inspired me to maybe, maybe it's a bit narcissistic at first, but I, I you know, I want to see pictures of me, you know, not in magazines, <laughs> but, but at least, at least pictures of me like skating so I can see what I look like. Do you know what I mean? And then it got to the point where I realized I perhaps didn't look so great in pictures, but I liked taking them and I, I wanted to make, you know, take pictures of other people that did look good in pictures. If, you, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And did you, did you start sending stuff in quite early? 1991 was the first time that I sent pictures to Rad and uh, they did a four page article or five page article on, um, on Milton Keynes. And uh, I remember it was called Tim. I mean, I just sent a bunch of pictures to Tim and I said, cause I'd met him at a competition and sort of spoken to him. I was kind of like, Whoa, this is the guy from Rad and uh, sort of said, do you mind if I sent some pictures in? So I said, yeah, go for it. And I sent them in and, uh, and he, yeah, he called the article My Kind of Town because I hadn't written anything to go with it. I just sort of said, these are my mates and this is my mate ollieing over a wall or this is my mate kind of grinding a handrail. And yeah, he just turned it into an article. So we were, you know, as you can imagine, us in the Milton Keynes scene, we were like, oh my God, we're in the UK skate magazine. It was, yeah, it was incredible for the time. I mean, he was brilliant for that, wasn't he? Like the kind of generosity of it, the, the democracy of it, the fact that it was like... Because when I spoke to him for this a few years back, you know, he always, he, I said, what's your favorite cover? And he's like, oh, it was when I went up to like some random little town and there was like a lad who had a little, you know, a ramp in there. You know what I mean? It was like, it wasn't like, oh, it was such a pro. Like it was all about the experience. It was all about like the the scenes that he could, that he could sort of document. And 
it blew my mind actually because because I was like oh yeah I used to really want to send stuff in to try and write for Rad and he was like you should have I would have published it (laughs) (laughs) fuck yeah didn't even think of that really at the time but 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 I think I think that's it it's not it's not something that we it wasn't that we I guess we you know we wanted to be famous wanted to be in a magazine it was just the fact that like obviously most of the time because Tim lived in London that was the scene that got documented which is you know completely fair enough but but we knew from traveling around to other cities that there were these other scenes out there. And that was quite funny. Actually, Rad used to do a two page feature in every issue called out there. And it was the only two pages most of the time that were, that were, that were of another scene from another part of the UK. So, um, so yeah, I think that was one of the reasons we sent pictures in. It was like, well, we've got a great scene in Milton Keynes here and it's only an hour away from London. And, you know, Tim sort of never comes here. Um, so we're going to send him the pictures. And that was kind of, I think that was one of the thick, one of the sort of, it kind of, Maybe didn't wasn't the spark wasn't it the, at the, at the, you know, straight away? But it was that was kind of one of the things that when we started Sidewalk and when we kind of took over Rad, we wanted to kind of show as much of the of the country as possible. If you see what I mean, because it's you know skating. I mean, especially now is everywhere. But even then, it was everywhere. But it wasn't it wasn't as cohesive as it is now because of the internet, I suppose. And people didn't travel as much, or at least in my mind, they didn't. But maybe they maybe they did. I don't know. Maybe you kind of. You just need to speak to um. Have you have you interviewed Jimmy Boyce before? No, but he comes up so much. Yeah, like need, and I'm, need, I'm yeah no and I'm, I'm one of the trips I'm going to do is up to the northeast because I've got quite a few mates up there, and there's there's definitely loads of stuff to do up there. But everyone's always like, you got to speak to Jimmy Boyce. Yeah, like he's absolutely. he's one of those like great lost names for this. That everyone's always like, you got to get him on. You need a series for Jimmy. You need like five episodes or something. <laughs> yeah, that's what I hear. I hear everyone's like, yeah, it's like, no, I think you're right though. And Sidewalk, I mean, I that's really clear. You know that that kind of let's let's cover everything. Let's give let's treat every scene. And and I think what you're saying is totally true. It's not like it was intentionally like London focused. It was just more a product of that period in British skateboarding, wasn't it? Really, you know, they're all Absolutely. based down there. That's where it kind of was you know happening obviously there were incredible skaters in other parts of the country you know like you've mentioned and liverpool kicking off great skaters in manchester like but that did take a little while to sort of feed its way out into the media of the time didn't it really mm-hmm. but then but then so i was going to say but then you, that you say the media of the time you had rad but then you had obviously skateboard magazine that kind of started in the late 80s and went into the early 90s and that was more like non-London centric because Steve Kane who ran it was you know obviously ran it from Bristol so you obviously had I don't know if you remember skateboard but you had like yeah you know, yeah you, I do you had, yeah you had the test team so they obviously had Shiner distribution was always in Bristol so they would Shiner would give the skateboard test team which was Specs um who was it Wee Joe maybe or was he no was he in I might be the wrong end of the country there he might have been in there he might have been in uh, Edinburgh, but that, but anyway, they had. I remember Specs, and he was incredible because he used to tear Dean Lane a new one, like on the daily. And his son Bear Miles actually skates now. I don't know if you know him, but he's he's incredible. But um, um, but yeah, I mean, so that was that was great because you'd buy Rad, and that was London centric, and you'd buy Skateboard, and both of these magazines I subscribed to, and I'd get them in my local shop and go down once a month and get them. Um, but skateboard was Bristol and it used to have more of the northern cities in it. So you would see Liverpool in there regularly. She had Meany. I think Meany lived, it was a photographer who lived up in the northwest. Meany lives down here now. Does he? Ian, Ian Lawton, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. He he, he actually lives about a mile from my house. I discovered no recently. Yeah. He's like, he's got a show on a local radio station down there. If he, 
by any random chances listen to this, he's probably going to think I'm stalking him. But I just <laughs> noticed it the other day, like, because, you know, like Instagram occasionally just throws up these things, obviously, because of things that you've searched and you've liked. And so he's been popping up for me. And I was like, wow, he lives, he lives near me. That's so funny. Cause yeah. And, and then there was Kevin Banks, right. Who was, who was the, also like basically documented the whole of that Liverpool scene when Rowley Mm. was a a nipper, didn't he? Yeah. As well. And that, yeah. And as you say, that was all, that was all in skateboard basically, wasn't it? Yeah. That, that, that kind of, um, yeah, that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. uh, He had skate action as well, which was the other one. And I didn't run for as long. I don't know if you're aware of that one, but that wasn't the same quality as like rad or skateboard. But, you know, it had some good photography in it. So, yeah, I mean, we had split skates, obviously, which was a bit of a bit of a mainline bit of a, Mm -hmm. you know, so you could you could get stuff. You could you could get the mags. You could, you know, when new boards came in or whatever, like you you could keep up with it to a certain degree. But, yeah, I didn't never saw skate action. It was that was maybe I mean, I went to split not long before it closed in like 93 when I first started uni because I started I went to uni in um not in Manchester but in Crew Crew and Alsager campus was part of Manchester Met but it was only like an hour on the train so I'd go and skate in Manchester sometimes I remember going to split yeah 93 so not long I don't think it lasted much longer than that did it maybe I mean you've no I don't think either. I don't I don't think so I think it's like a Tesco Metro now yeah which is, is. Yeah. <laughs> which is yeah such a crying shame really but that so it goes so just to take it back a little bit before, you know, you mentioned that you ended up on this sort of essentially like the founding staff of Sidewalk, really. So that gap between what you're talking about, the uh, like putting stuff into Rad and, and then, so what what was going on there? Was this you just sending more stuff in? You, know, you mentioned, am I right in thinking you made some film, scene films as well? It was like a Milton Keynes film at some point, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I, I made... I made um some a couple of really bad ones they were more like a university project than than um than a proper uh, film but um a guy called lindsay knight who was involved in the mk skate project he kind of made sort of the the more sort of seminal kind of like milton Keynes scene videos because he you know he had a he had a sort of a more proper video camera and he kind of he took his editing a bit more seriously um my friend james friends james jessup and lee crow from Leighton buzzard they made a kind of scene video um my, my scene videos were literally made on um, a VHS handy cam that my dad hired from Curry's for the like the weekend. Classic. And uh, I had no way of editing them. <laughs> so they're, so they're, they still exist somewhere, but they're literally kind of like 50 minutes of footage until the battery ran out each day. And it's not no not, not edited at all. It's just on a tape and that's it. Um, yeah, I've got them somewhere. Those are, those experiments are brilliant though, aren't they? Yeah. Because everyone did them. You know, there was always somebody that had a camera, a video camera, like the dad had one. And they was, yeah. these, back then they were like these fucking massive things, weren't they? On your shoulder and you're trying to roll along on your skateboard thinking, if I hit a stone, <laughs> this is like five on grand's tiny, worth of video camera down the drain. Like On your tiny wheels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, but then, but that's, yeah, I mean, I, I love all that. I we We made a film called, skaters without a hope when i was like 14 <laughs> which is all us basically doing shit airs off our little fly off ramp that we made you know it's, it's classic all that stuff isn't it mm. so so did you i'm not going to say did you start thinking that you could make a living out of it because i'm sure the answer is no but did at that point but but you you were sending more stuff in getting into it shooting more and how, so how did it how did this like kind of it becoming a more of a job when did that start to happen um so okay so i'm trying to think of the back of the timeline so i moved in with 
uh, Kirsty, my girlfriend, uh, in Manchester in 1997. And I was doing, I was working as, as an assistant, as, um, a photography assistant at some studios near where we lived in Worsley, um, in North Manchester. Um, and then I got poached to work as a, an assistant for um, a commercial photographer called Tracy Gibbs. And she worked on, you might know it actually, it's, if, you, if you go down the East Lanks Road, towards town from North Manchester, go past Salford Uni, you take a right there and you've got that big Sainsbury's, I don't know if you know it, it's on Regent Road, her studio is literally, I mean, it's not advertised, but her studio is kind of just opposite that Sainsbury's. So I worked there for about a year. Um, and as I was working there, I was kind of shooting more and more skating. And it was kind of you know, when the first mobile phones were around, so I could kind of like be in work and be like doing a lighting for her and surreptitiously kind of texting people to meet them up after work. And I don't think she liked that because I was kind of moonlighting. Um, so I kind of got let go from there after about a year. Um, and I started working at a place called A4 Distribution. Don't you remember that? Yeah, they yeah, used to do yeah. sole technology. So I've literally... Yeah, I know Alan Darren. Yeah. There you go. So I worked in the warehouse, um, shipping out shoes and shooting skating up until the point where I was doing it that much and having that many pictures in the mag that Jim Peskett offered me a job. Um, but just, you know, say, but just. I mean, it was amazing. It was like 800 quid a month which at the time in like 1999 was fucking amazing, like brilliant um, to, to be staffed for sidewalk. So yeah, I was, I just had to pinch myself every day that that was actually my job to, sh to shoot skateboarding. <laughs> yeah. Um, a good old Jim. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So that was that 99 that was. I've apologized to Jim recently for, uh... what for? <laughs> just for what dicks we were back in the day. We were all dicks. <laughs> we were all dicks. And I think he knew that. I think he had, I think he had a good, uh, I don't know. He had a good crew of dicks, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it, like totally. I mean, fucking hell. When you think back to that place, like, and that and that poor dog. <laughs> Bruno. Bruno was more like a human than a dog. No, he was a legend. But no, Jim, yeah. now I look back as a sort of grown-up, you know, I'm a bit like, what a legend. I mean, Jim basically kind of underpinned the whole scene for like years, really. Uh, I remember having this really boozy chat with Horsley about it when we were both like quite a few years later when i think i think it was when jim had kind of sold i mean kind of sold it to factory didn't he i don't know the details but that's essentially what happened isn't it and you know we were both a bit like yeah fuck you know what what a legend like he basically <laughs> he sort of bankrolled not bankrolled it because i'm sure he made money but you know he kind of supported it all didn't he yeah for, he for a while like for 15 years really you know, he certainly earned the right to uh, cash that in. I think it was it, it was a, just basically a big youth club for all of us that basically he put his house against our wages. I know that's why. <laughs> I, that's, why that, I, that's why I cringe when I when I think back. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, no, no, that's so that it's a, and it's such a common story, like in in our little scene, isn't it? You know that that kind of that's. So that, that, you know, they must have been the good years then, you know, obviously it's all been good, but you know, that sort of period then staff getting to do what you want. And you mentioned the travel, you know, you mentioned the cat, you know, I've always got the impression from looking at your work from the outside that the camaraderie, the travel, the document, the scene is as important as the document, the actual skateboarding, if that makes sense. Mm, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons, like I said before, it's one of the reasons that I enjoy doing it. I mean, I enjoyed, you know, obviously I enjoyed shooting pictures of, of like really good, you know, maybe famous if you want to use that word skateboarders. But, but what I enjoyed more was going to like 
you know, I enjoyed more was going to a town that probably hadn't had, hadn't even been in a magazine or even been on people's like radar before, you know, and shooting, shooting a scene report of, of somewhere that just hadn't had any coverage. And it was like, you know, you'd go there and kids would be like, whoa, okay, geez, like the, you know, the guy from sidewalks here, you know, we're going to, we're going to try and do our best stuff, which is obviously great for me. Whereas like sometimes say like, you know, cause I lived in Manchester and, you know, I'd go out and shoot, you'd end, you'd end up shooting a lot of the same people a lot of the time because they were the best skaters in Manchester, but because it's through no fault of their own, they might have, you know, they've just, they've got the media guy there most of the time. They don't maybe try the hardest all of the time because you just think, well, I don't have to because I'm not feeling great today and I'm going to try it next week. Whereas like, you know, if you go to do a scene report and you might only be in that town for like one or two days, like all the local guys are going to be like, right, we're going to try and do our best stuff now because it might be the only chance we get. Do you know what I mean? So it's actually sometimes it was sort of better to do that kind of thing because you knew if you travelled quite a long way to do something, you were going to get a good grip of photos, if you know what I mean. Well, it's a real art to that as well, like to actually just turn up at a place and, you know, do it in a way that's not going to intimidate people and feel weird for them. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's bad, isn't it? I mean, a lot of the time I didn't really have to do much. You know, it was kind of, it wasn't like, right, I'm here, go and jump down the biggest set of stairs. Because, I mean, I guess back in the kind of late nineties and two thousands when skateboarding was kind of more about like like the gnarlier stuff, like the gnarlier it was, the better it was almost. Um, kids would kind of be thinking about doing that anyway. It'd be like you'd go to like, I don't know, some town in the kind of out in the wilderness in Northwest England and the local guy who was really good would be like, I've been thinking about trying that 16 set all my life <laughs> and you're here and I'm going to try it. And sometimes he would land it and sometimes he wouldn't, but you know, it was, it's, you know, it's obviously not that, but kind of similar to that, if you know what I mean? So, yeah. Well, when I, when I was chatting to Wig about doing this, one of the things that he said, I mean, it really made me realize that good skate photography makes it look quite easy. I think, you know, like, but there's so many elements that go into it to actually give you that impression of that, you know, this trick happened in a certain way. There's a lot going on. There's a lot more going on than you kind of first appreciate. I think, you know, like to, to actually, to actually kind of consistently bang out high quality skate photography is, is an art like anything else. And, and it, it's, it's not just something especially you know the point i'm sort of getting to like working with people that might not be familiar with it which is a big part of it presumably for you right i think so i think um i mean yeah obviously there's that like excitement of meeting new people and excitement of getting to skate new spots myself um and maybe kind of spots that someone's sent you a picture of and you think holy shit where is that oh it's up in the highlands of scotland underneath the motorway bridge you know you've got to drive four hours to get there or maybe nine hours to get there or wherever but it's kind of like I'm going, you know what I mean? Cause one, it's going to make a great photo and two, I'll get to skate it myself. But just going back to what you were saying about kind of, you know, consistently taking good skate photos. We, I mean, a lot of it was kind of trial and error and a lot of it, to be fair, talking about wig, he's kind of like the, I always refer to him as the grandfather of British skate photography, because a lot of the way that we, like most of us shot back then kind of was filtered down from, from him because he, you know, I was lucky enough to kind of grow up down the like three miles down the road from him. He lived in Stony Stratford in Milton Keynes, and I lived in a little village called Pottersbury. And I used to see him all the time, and he'd be like, oh, in hushed tones, "Oh my God, there's Wig Warden!" <laughs> you know, yeah, it was kind of almost like that, really. But like, he was the person that showed me how to print in the dark room. He was the person that was kind of like, maybe you want to get a better lens and a better camera than the one you've got there. You know, go out and get a second-hand Canon T90, and 
you know, maybe don't use that 17 millimeter lens that kind of stretches everything in the corners. Maybe you want to get a fisheye lens, you know, again, all this stuff wasn't cheap, but you kind of, you sort of saved up for it and, you know, found a, someone who was selling their old one and got it, you know, got them to give it you cheaper and begged and borrowed and stolen until you had the equipment. Um, and we figured out, I mean, what well, he figured out and kind of passed it on to us, how to use flash and kind of what flash duration was and like what power you had to put your flash on, how far away you had to put it using a flash meter. I never even knew what one of those was until he told me, <laughs> you know, and, and, and to get the right exposure, you know, it's kind of, you make the mistakes, you know, shooting on film, obviously you can, didn't have any previews. So you were just kind of shooting blind a lot of the time, but from making the mistakes and kind of doing it and having, okay, I've got a hundred speed film, got my Mets on quarter power. It was way too close in that last one. It burnt everything out. So I'll put it further back and I'll use a flash meter and I'll get F 5.6. And you do that over and over. You do it every day. And after a while you get to know the film that you're shooting, you get to know your equipment. And I think, I think that that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like just doing it a lot, doing it in certain lighting conditions and knowing how to do stuff just from, just from doing it all the time. That's, that's what it was. Yeah, and then and then you know you accrue enough experience, and suddenly, if you're lucky, you might have a job, or you <laughs> might, or, or or not even a job, but you might, you, you know, you, your passion might lead you somewhere interesting. Let's just think, put it in those in those I, terms, I, even. Yeah, I, I, I think with anything like that, it's kind of you, the passion. Passion is the key for it. You know, if you you might love photography, but you equally have to love your subject matter as well, and that's what I always kind of say if I'm doing them. Um, if I'm doing a kind of a lecture about photography, I'll say, you know, what are you interested in other than photography? Because people say, I like taking pictures of stuff, but like, I don't know what to take pictures of. It's like, well, what else do you like? Like join your two passions together. For me, luckily for me, like skateboarding came first, then photography came after. But for people that like pick up a camera and say, I like photography, they've, it's almost, they're at a disadvantage because they've got to find something they want to take pictures of afterwards. Yeah, it makes total sense. I mean, that's also like a good rule for creativity generally, that isn't it? you know you because it's like when because i'm a, a writer and like a journalist and it's the same thing with that you know people can be like well what should i write about you know and it's like anything it's just you just have to do it a lot don't you yeah you, you know repetition work it out work out what's good for you and then the other important thing about that is you also kind of start developing a, a style and your own language and and you can start to as you just described, I mean, that was really interesting hearing you describe all that process and all the influence of wig. Cause you know, those are the, the, the building blocks of your own style, aren't they? You know, taking those influences and then doing your own thing with them. I mean, it's fairly like almost like a glib thing to say, but that is kind of how it happens, isn't it? You know, that's how you, that's the process that leads you there really. I think, um, I mean, you know, you, you are, you, I mean, I was influenced by wig a lot, but you know, you're influenced by the photography that you see in, other skateboard magazines, you know, kind of, you've got like Transworld skateboarding, obviously and Thrasher of kind of like the late nineties, like up to mid two thousands. And, you know, in the late nineties, street skating was kind of, you know, you had a lot of street skating and it, it just got like gnarlier and more tech as you went into the two thousands. Like if you look at kind of like 2001 or 2002 Transworlds, it was like, it was like the flip guys, you know, Yonato, like frontside board sliding, El Toro, a 20 stair handrail, like in, did stuff that had never been done before, like kind of, you know, you're like, you're, and you're seeing these amazing pictures of it and you're like, wow, okay, you know, I, I want to find the guy that can like slide a big handrail in the UK and try and emulate that, you know, but it's not just about kind of the skateboarding itself. It's like, I'm looking at it going, how, how does he like that? Because that's such a big area to light. He's going to need... <laughs> you know, he's going to need probably about 10 flashes to do it. And that was when we kind of started shooting with 
or, or like again we could add one of these flashes called a lumidine which was like much like more powerful than the speed lights that we used to use it used to get knocked over and smashed and the batteries would fall out and stuff all the time but these lumidines had their own power pack with them they were like a studio flash on the street and that was when you could kind of start shooting with like medium format cameras because you know the bigger the format the more light you need for it so and obviously the bigger the spot you more light you need for it so it was like okay you had to expand our kit again and learn how to use new cameras and different kinds of film and different lighting to be able to kind of keep up with the way that photography was changing as it were and again that was all you know that did sort of come from wig but it came from sort of all of us kind of doing it together i remember a time that we um myself uh wig and a guy called oliver barton don't know if you yeah 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 so so we so we met up in birmingham another person whose name comes up a lot as a possible guest yeah yeah you should definitely do ollie i mean he's he's been everywhere and done everything pretty much but he um so we all met up in birmingham underneath the motorway flyover as is often the case a place called fastlands which is like a spot in the center of birmingham and a young james woodley actually who we've got um actually then the mag that comes out in two days he's got an interview in there he's sort of come back around again but we just got him to do ollie into this bank about 20 times um and we were experimenting with the hasselblad fisheye and the focus on it because it didn't focus like a 35 millimeter fisheye it was like we kept getting photos that were out of focus and we and it didn't make any sense with the kind of the meters and feet on the lens didn't really correspond with how far away the subject was from the lens and if, if they're up in the corner of the fisheye they're actually further away than they seem and yada 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 but anyway we shot these pictures of james took them to the lab sat there kind of looking through the loop on the light box and then figured out actually this is the sweet spot for the focus for the lens and then all our pictures after that because we kind of come together and had a meeting of the minds we figured out okay this is how we need to use this lens and uh and yeah and it was again it was kind of photography improved because of that if you see what i mean yeah that's great i mean how brilliant is that like you know collaborating at that level rather than not being dicks <laughs> you know what i mean though because like because because i mean that's that's skating that surfing snowboarding like all these worlds like that that camaraderie that community is is part of it again an obvious thing to say but that that is great i don't know how common I do, i'm not sure if that's the case in in you know the fashion arena let's just say <laughs> i wouldn't like, have thought so and, and and the thing is it's kind of that's one of the things about skating for me is um I don't know I love I love I mean what we're doing with skateboarders companion at the moment I love kind of how many different skate photographers there are now I mean I don't know if they all call themselves skate photographers as such but how many people there are you know that are like documenting their scene or taking photos of their friends skating and they're sending pictures into us I've got you know I've got a contributors folder on my hard drive and I've probably got about 40 different folders in there from various different people that might have sent one photo or they might have sent 40 photos do you know what I mean but like and some of them some of the photos are good enough to go in print, some of them aren't, but that doesn't mean they might not be good enough to go in one of our online galleries. And it's just about kind of like, it's, it is about nurturing photographic talent, but it's also about trying to show as much of the UK and Irish scene as possible through people that actually live in the scenes rather than the guy that has to travel to get there, if you see what I mean. So that's one of the things we really wanted to do. I mean, I guess it's a different part of the interview now, but like with the Skateboarders Companion was actually try to like, it's it, it's a bit yes it's about kind of like who's good in the uk and irish scene but it's also about the scenes themselves if you see what i mean yeah well that you know that people kind of slag off it's quite fashionable these days to sort of slag off instagram and and social media and say it's devalued the art of photography because you know you should look at pictures on print 
like in the printed form and i do i do understand that and i do have a certain amount of sympathy for that as a bit of an old fart that grew up with print but at the same time you cannot argue with how democratic it is now and like the fact that if you've got talent now you you can make your own little platform and and get yourself attention and that that especially in skateboarding and i think that's got to be a good thing doesn't it like personally absolutely you know so yeah so skateboarders companion uh, I mean, I, I just loved that when I saw it because I was a bit like, what a fucking retro slash insane but totally brilliant move in 2020 to like start a print, UK print skate mag. Like, you know, and I'm sure again, you've kind of heard heard that before because it's like, you you probably wouldn't say it's the most promising environment to do it in, but you kind of did it anyway and it's it's brilliant. So where, where did it come from? Like, did you, was it just literally like, let's make a mag, we should do it? Yeah, I mean, myself and Ryan Gray, who, I don't know if you, do you know Ryan? He was the um, sort of the assistant editor at Sidewalk. For, I don't know like, Ryan. Okay, so he was the assistant editor at Sidewalk for, I try, I try to think when I first kind of met him, maybe 2008 or nine. So he was like the assistant editor for like all the journalists, then assistant editor for, for like the last sort of 10 years of the mag up until 2018 when it finally went. But when it went in 2018, like, you know, because it was online from 2015, you know, straight away, I sort of said to Ray, you know, we, we need to start another, another mag like sidewalk. Um, but we, we just didn't have the means to do it. You know, we were like, we talked about it for years, but we didn't have the money to, to front the first issue of a print mag. Cause you know, you can get, you know, you can go out and get the advertisers, but you're not going to get the money until after the first mag has been printed. So you could, it's, it's a catch 22. So we'd always talked about it and we even kind of like, you know, had a couple of meetings at the pub and like made lists and, you know, had a few beers and we're like, yeah, we'll do it one day. We'll do it one day. We'll, we'll get the money. Like one of us will win a lottery or, you know, one of our nans will die or <laughs> we'll get some inheritance. <laughs> but, um, but it never happened up until the point where, you know, we're sat in the backyard in the house here um, this time last year, um, the first lockdown, beautiful weather, chatting away. Um, and I'd, one of the things, I don't know, I, if you want me to talk about on here is, I mean, I, I've, I've been shooting a few weddings the last few years. Talk um, about what you want, man. It's okay, all, it's all and, open. And it's, um, yeah, it's so, so one, so one of the, one of the things about shooting weddings is obviously it's a completely different arena to skating, but it's funny that the people that you meet doing it, because actually a guy called Matt Law, who I don't know if you know Matt, but he has distributed a desire of shoes for a long time. And he's had kind of various distribution companies doing other brands as well. But the one sort of constant has been Osiris. Um, I was kind of scrolling through Instagram, looking at other wedding photographers, and I seen this Matt Law creating diamonds. And I'm like, I know a guy called Matt Law. It can't be him. He's not a wedding photographer. And then I kind of figured out actually it was the same guy. And I sort of gave him a shout and spoke to him for years and ended up, anyway, ended up doing a few weddings with him. Fast forward to the first lockdown, and uh, I'm chatting to him on the phone about weddings. And he says, um, have you ever thought about starting a starting a skate mag again because you know we're kind of not doing anything and just i was sat here kind of selling skateboards to people and uh, i was like just hold on a sec there so i put the phone down ring up ryan like we might have a third party here for our magazine and uh you know ryan says we'll call him back and i introduced those guys and yeah that was literally this time last year april 2020 and uh fast forward a year and we managed to do one issue already and issue two is coming out in two days so so right, so it was a classic, the classic lockdown project. Brilliant. Yep. If lockdown hadn't happened, we wouldn't have a magazine. But there you go. So it's um, 
you know, we talked about it. I mean, you know, me and Ryan, lots of ideas boring. We talked about it for a long time. So I guess kind of that part of it was already in motion, as it were. But just actually the ins and outs of going to see advertisers and, you know, seeing people that we know in the industry and sort of kind of making them believe that we could actually do another print mag that is available in news agents again or is that is that model too antiquated to work and i think we've already sort of proved with the first issue that it isn't and that there is another generation of kids especially girls that are starting now kind of like you know 10 11 12 years old that something like the skateboarder's companion is still relevant and like you know is kind of is needed in this kind of modern day as well yeah i completely agree and you must have you must have been really gratified by the response because obviously it was like embraced pretty quickly by the scene and um has sold out been a success and you know looks like the next one is also probably gonna fly out really isn't it Fingers i mean it must, crossed. Be, must be great be, being back in that game again like being able to sort of do that again you must be it, i mean it, it, it is it's cool but um sometimes you think you know i've bitten off more than i can chew because I mean, I didn't have any weddings to shoot last year. I mean, well, I think I did about three or four that were like six people or something. But all of the ones from last year have moved to this summer. And once they start cranking again, come 17th of May and 21st of June, I'm doing that. I'm just shooting photos for the mag. I'm sitting at my desk selling skateboards in the week. And I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> this is, <laughs> is going to go nuts this year. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm joking, really. It's, it's a good problem to have. It's good to be busy. But um but yeah, like I'm, I'm stoked on doing the mag and just, just to be honest, stoked on not having to do a lot of it myself because there's a load of other amazing skate photographers out there that are, that are helping us out. You know, there's a guy we've got working on our stuff called uh, Robert Whiston, and he's a guy from Birmingham. Um, he's got four kids and he's a grafter. He, he works as a builder, but somehow has loads of time to go out and take skate photos as well. I think it must be because he's not even 30 yet. So He's still got lots of energy. <laughs> we'll soon beat that out of him, though, eh? He still doesn't need sleep. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, change. I mean, and 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 but but that's but that's again, it's like in all seriousness, it's one of the reasons for doing it. It's not just to to like talk about like how many amazing like new skateboarders are out there, but just about how many people are shooting great skate photos and how many people are making great skate videos and just yeah, just like the scene. Then the scene encompasses everybody, doesn't it? Like skateboarders and people that document skateboarding. Yeah, you can really see that from the way you've put it together. You know, like there's there's a focus on like geography, isn't there? You know, like in places and, and which obviously Sidewalk always had as well. But you can see the thought that's gone into like what you're talking about and how you're talking about it. I'm interested in the name. The, na- the name struck me as like considered. So what was going on there? So we, oh blimey, when we started thinking about a name, come, it probably took us nearly a year to get the, to get the name hammered out. To be honest, we had... Um, you know when you're kind of trying to think of a name for your first offspring and you've got a book of names and you're kind of like going through it for months and months and months i don't know if do you, do you have kids yourself no but we had the same thing when we uh, got our dog so i can ah, slightly empathize there you go I mean, it's, it's similar to that i mean there's never going to be the right name is there and we you know we kind of agonized over it for months but we but we wanted a name that wasn't you know like a lot of the current skate mags are kind of their one word um because that works, I guess, for social media and it's easy to remember. Free skate mag, grey skate mag, vague skate mag. Vague, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which nothing wrong with that, but we wanted something that was the opposite of that, that was kind of, that you know, that, that people are definitely going to get wrong. You know, people say, are you that guy from the skateboard companion or are you the, are you the, 
the, the skating companion guy, whatever, like people are, you know, you're setting yourself up for, for kind of comedy names to be, to be kind of made up about you with that. But, but we wanted it to be something that was a bit more, that was a bit different, but also was kind of that harked back to, to kind of yesteryear, I suppose a little bit, but also yeah, was that's, new. That's why yeah. I asked the question really, because it's got that kind of classic sort of almanacy quality, hasn't it? Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like, you know, yeah. sat in your armchair with your kind of nice, it's, it's old school. I, like, I liked yeah. it. It's kind of gives, was, um, gives. It was, it, it, it was something that right. That I, I mean, I've got to give credit to right. It was, it was one of his ideas and it was like, it just seemed to just fit, you know, it's like, so, like compact, like something you want to, that isn't throwaway that you want to keep and you want to kind of return to. And, you know, that's why we've got things like how to's in it. I mean, you know, you can watch kids can go on, youtube and watch how to do an ollie and on about like 50 different channels but you know you can take it with your skate and look at it on your phone but it's better to have it you can like set the mag on the on the floor at the skate park and be like right step one what do i do okay there's eddie belvedere who's showing me how to do it he's a real person you know he, he, he's, he's there he is at mount hawk doing the trick sam beckett how do i axle stall on the mini ramp okay you know step one drop in okay shit i've fallen off but i'm going to try again i don't know it's it's just maybe it's just me kind of being a little bit um nostalgic but i i just think that that maybe is something that's missing from uk skating or maybe i'm wrong i don't know but at least the, the media as such how, how do you mean just like things like how to's things like sheets of stickers things like posters things things that are for the kids things that are for kids that have just started skating that's for me was kind of one of the things and again i'm not I'm not saying that the other skate mags are bad because they're wicked. They all do their own like stuff in a really good way. But for me, things have been missing for sort of the last few years since Sidewalk went, ah, stuff that's for, as Horsley puts it, little Tommy Birkins. He's like this mythical dude that's just started skating. He doesn't know anything about skating. And you're going, okay, here's some stickers. Here's a poster, put it on your wall. You know, like just be stoked about skating. Like here's how to do the basic tricks, you know, and here's like a bit of history. And here's like, who are the, really hot fucking amazing skaters these days and here's someone who used to be really good and it's just the whole everything do you know what i mean trying to put everything into one place yeah exactly and that tangible physical thing is important you know like a sticker for a kid ain't going out of fashion like you know does it, it could be the the 23rd century and you give a kid a, a sticker they're going to be stoked <laughs> like, exactly. you know, they're going to be they're yeah. not they're not going to they're not going to be like well it's not digital like they're going to be like fucking sticker you yes, can't stick yeah. your fucking smartphone on the bottom of your skateboard and skate can you can try but <laughs> kind of break but it i, I, th I think that, like uh, that's what i really like about about what you're doing though because i think it's it's the combination isn't it it's like well let's acknowledge the reality of skating in the uk now like you know you've already said like let's let's give all these new photographers a platform let's give women more of a platform let's give girls you know there's so many amazing girls now let's make sure that they're getting the right coverage and the, and the right and being talked about let's let's go to all these different places and, and document it like reflect the reality of modern skateboarding but equally give it a bit of an analog feel like make a magazine that's that's brilliant you know give stickers away like do do that that that's kind of nodding you know it's got a foot in both camps hasn't it it's like nodding to the heritage which is important but also like kind of the, the reality that we're in now and i think that's why i, th I thought it was brilliant because even the fact that you did it i was like wow fair enough like magazine at this point in 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 history is fucking bold and great 
you know, it's, it, and kind of, and like you said, obviously the appetite was there clearly because mm. people have been stoked on it. Yeah, it was funny because we went to um, Menzies, which is the mainstream distributor for magazines that just distributes into Smiths and, you know, independent news agents. And, uh, you know, we said to them, we want to start this skate magazine. Would you stock it? And they obviously had to do their analysis. And they said, uh, right, well, we've got, um, uh, we've been to Smiths and they've got two other skateboard titles currently. And we were, we said, oh, uh, so which are they then? They went Thrasher. I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. But I think, I can't remember how many issues of Thrasher they sell every issue in, in uh, every every time in Smiths. So I think it's only like 100 or something for the whole country, which is nothing. And uh, and Huck magazine. And I was like, Huck magazine? Okay, no, I have seen that. Um, and it does have some skating in it, but I wouldn't call it a skateboard magazine. So we kind of, you know, we had a meeting with them. We were like, yeah, okay, Thrasher is, you know, it's legit as you get as a skate mag, but it's mostly us content you might get the odd kind of like uk skater in there and obviously what we want to do is a purely uk and irish skate mag so they kind of were like okay you know we sort of said what we used to do and you know we, we all obviously used to do sidewalk and matt's been in skateboarding his whole life as a distributor and yeah we just took it from there and uh i think we of i can't remember how many i think we made ten thousand copies for the first issue um and at least half of those went into smiths and i think we yeah, I think the sell through was kind of like maybe like a fifth or a third of those copies sold, which for a first issue apparently is like unheard of. That's what the, the lady at Menzies was saying anyway. So yeah, we've uh we're pretty stoked on what on how we've done so far. That's amazing. I didn't realise you'd printed so many. That is great. That's a that I mean that's that's fucking respectable numbers, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's 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 respect for Matt for kind of fronting the money to to print the most of the first ones. Yeah, um, and that and that's that's punchy as well. I like you know that I'm I'm not sure you know to be totally honest I'm, I'm sure you had the same conversations I bet you were like fucking hell 10,000 really we can do that you know it's like mm. quite a lot in it but fair enough like but that, I mean to, but to, talking about like the model of like getting the mag to to people like we obviously the other mags they're not in in um, news agents but their model is to give them free to skate stores and skate stores give them away for free so we wanted because obviously we agonized about this for months we're like well we want to do one that's in news agents and obviously we need a cover price for that but we also want to give it away for free in skate stores and we thought well do we make some with a cover price on some not and actually when we would talk to menzies about it they said they said that's fine you know you can give a proportion of your magazines away free in skate stores like with the cover price on but we would just consider that marketing so we send a box to gee i've just done the list yesterday i think there's a hundred and no 108 uk stores and skate parks so far that we send a box of free magazines to of 30 33 magazines in a box to each of those um which they get to give away for free and then obviously once they're gone then you can buy it from from news agents and that's hopefully that model will sort of continue to work we'll see so you said the the second volume issue edition is out next week we're recording this end of april 2021 so people can it's out, get it's out on the 29th of april in two days <laughs> nice I'll, put, I'll try and put this out pretty quick then so that, that um people can Thanks. actually get one because it will it will sell out won't it for sure yeah. I, hope, I hope so yeah i mean it, and it, we we've got more copies i can't remember how many we settled on this time but we've got more copies printed but you got to remember it's um you know we're using like expensive paper stock the stickers of oh man the stickers kill us because like they cost a fortune to make that like ten thousand sheets of stickers because they're made at a place in london and then shipped to the printers in wales like to be on time to be like perfect bound into the mag and obviously the posters are made by the by the printers as well and 
geez, getting the getting the artwork for the poster in time is always a nightmare. Just ask Horsley about that. Because um, <laughs> he's, well, he's he, we didn't have him as our designer of the first issue, but he designed the second issue, and hopefully he's going to continue to do it. Um, but just yeah, but just like the cost involved in getting it printed are like way beyond what we thought it was going to be. But we were just like, well, if we can get enough ads to to make it work, then then you know so be it. And we just about broke even with you know we've got enough fans to do the printing we're not making any money out of it but that's what it is we just wanted to make something that was that was kind of like looked really good was really colorful was really high quality that kids really want to get hold of each month and hopefully it will just kind of grow from there we just have to see yeah so bit bit of a sort of cheesy scene question i'm not, I'm not gonna ask you to comment on the olympics don't worry but <laughs> how, how, how do you feel about the kind of the, the the health of it in the UK right now. The health of the skate case. scenes. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's always. I was going to say, like most of the places that I go, and and you know, I don't actually I haven't been travelling that far and wide over the last few months, obviously. But um, I did back in. I'm trying to think when it was now. When it was snowing, I did a trip up to uh, to Manchester and Birmingham to get photos for some of the stuff we've got an issue to now, and. Um, even when it was absolutely freezing cold and you know like people really didn't want to be outside it was up in manchester and there were there were loads of skateboarders like you know like and, and obviously all the skate parks are closed but they were just skating these undercover spaces you know out of the wind and the rain and the snow and same in birmingham like multi-story car parks just loads of kids you know they're you know they're, i was at lloyd's the other day and this is when the weather was better uh, lloyd's in bristol lloyd's amphitheater and I probably knew about, there were probably about 100 skateboarders there, and I probably knew about maybe 10 or 15 of them, and the rest of them were, like, just young kids. Some of them, you know, got obviously got their first set up. They're skating in their, like, football trainers in the tracksuit, whatever, and they're with a bunch of their mates, and you're just like, shit, this is kind of like when I started, kind of a long, long time ago, you know, it is, it is, it's a boom. It's like it's the next, I don't want to call it a craze, but there are just loads of kids that have got skateboards now. I don't know whether to call them skateboarders, but they're but they're doing it, you know. No, it's no, it's really noticeable. It's really noticeable mm. down there as well. There's a lot of kids. Like, do you know? Uh, do you know Pete Helica? I do know Pete. Yeah, he's in Lewis, yeah. right? Yeah, he's got this. He's got the shop. I'm due to go and see him actually. Um, yeah, he's he was on a. He was like about my fifth episode actually, Pete. I'm not listening to that. Oh man, right. I need to listen to that one. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. And it was great because obviously I did it in person. We did it. He's, he's got a little, I don't know if he's still got it, but we had a little music studio in Lewis. So we did it there. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, no, I love Pete. Um, and I actually need a new, um, like I need to go and treat myself, new new setup, new complete. So I'm going to go and see him and uh, try and sort that out soon, I think. Skate society. Um, yeah, no, it's brilliant. He's Yeah. and uh, But again, like down here, there's just so many good young skaters at the minute. Like it's it's great it's great to see. So I, uh, I mean, I'll start wrapping up a little bit because uh, I've had you on for a little while. But like, so the Milton Keynes, I, I, I won't mind going back to to that if that's all right. Because obviously sure. you did do the book, yeah. Which is which you know it was quite recent, wasn't it? It was the last couple of years I'm, like, that you guys put that together, and it is an amazing sort of capsule of that whole scene from from sort of start to finish really and you know and as i kind of alluded to earlier and obviously you don't need me to say this because you wrote a book about it but like as a cultural moment of like british skateboarding and also british youth culture generally it's it's quite a mad little capsule isn't it you know the whole thing mm. so 
where did the idea for the book and and there was an exhibition you know there was there was a lot going on around that so where did where did that all start like how did that come about so that was actually a so that was actually Milton Keynes council um what I, I, don't, I actually don't know where the initial idea for it came from but it was it was a it was a national lottery heritage funded grant that actually enabled the whole project to happen okay so it was uh, we actually had um, a woman called Caterina Luigio and she she actually wrote the bid to the National Lottery Heritage Fund because I think she that's what she does she writes bids and and sort of oversaw the whole project so without her it wouldn't have happened but um but yeah we got this money and um we decided what we were that we were kind of you know we like like you say it's like a time capsule you need we needed to kind of go right back to the start of skating in Milton Keynes and you know, find the kind of main protagonists from that, like, you know, who, who were the people that were first skating Milton Keynes, where they skateboarded, um, were there any photos from the time, was there any video from the time, were there artifacts from the time, because some of those were shown in the actual physical exhibition itself. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I started skating in Milton Keynes in probably, let's say, 1986, but then people were skating there before that, and the people I hadn't really heard of before, that were, um, like Neil, who, you know, kind of helped sort of unearth that, Lindsay Knight, who was one of my friends who I sort of grew up skating with, who kind of made the films. He knew a little bit about the history because he'd made a, a previous video of the history of skating in Milton Keynes. Uh, Rob Selly, um, kind of one of the, do you remember? Do you remember? Great unsung hero of British skateboarding. Exactly. So, you know, he was professional for, for blueprint skateboards for a while, you know, and like, again, I skated with him for years. Um, taught him everything he knows. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, and my, my friend, James Jessup. Yeah, he's a bit who, good. He, uh, he, um, James Jessaby, um, I skated with him for years. He's one of the guys from Leighton Buzzard who I mentioned made a made a scene film. Um, but he is an amazing artist, and he studied at, did a masters at Royal College, and he does these crazy abstract paintings. And he actually did a huge one for that took up one whole wall of the exhibition, like a new painting for it. Um, I'm kind of rambling a bit here, but yeah, but just it no, was, not it at was, all. It, it was it was the MK Skate Project was I mean it was amazing to be involved in it. It was sort of my photos in the book, but one of my jobs was to was to kind of be like the photo creator for that and try and get photos from as many different people that had shot photos in Milton Keynes over the years as possible. You know, we wanted pictures of famous skateboarders, heavy hitters that had come through Milton Keynes and done like amazing things there. But we also wanted pictures of just, just people that have been in the Milton Keynes scene over the years. Cause that's obviously changed from era to era as well. So that was amazing for me too. Cause there was, stuff that I thought I knew about it, like in people that I definitely knew skate in Milton Keynes, but then there were times when I hadn't really been there and people that had done stuff like, you know, good stuff that I had no idea about that weren't like someone who skated for girl skateboards or chocolate skateboards or whoever, do you know what I mean? That, that had like, that were a local guy and they were, you were like, Oh, I've got this picture of such and such a guy who was a local and he ollied these stairs before anybody else. And I had no idea. So it was kind of like, it was a learning experience for me and just, yeah, it was, it's just, um, it's just, I, I wish kind of, I, I, I say I wish, I think more areas of the country are doing it. I've kind of, I've heard of a similar project out in East Anglia that's been put together. I know Kat was working on something in Southampton where there was maybe similar as well. So, so yeah, it's just, I think it's almost every part of the country, every scene has their kind of history of skating. And it's just, it's amazing to be able to, be able to put it down in a physical thing like a book, but also to have the tangible artifacts in the exhibition like boards that have been skated in Milton Keynes like pieces of the smashed up granite 
block that was the original block at the bus station that got taken away before the plaza was put there and it was like what we grew up skating on like there were pieces of that there you know it's kind of you can sort of hold it in your hands and be like that truck metal that's on the edge of the lip there (laughs) some of that is mine from when i was like 13 years old do you know what i mean like it's yeah well that's why i was kind of that's why i sort of bring it up really because like that cultural like giving skateboarding its proper cultural due basically is what's going on there isn't it you know and and i think i was reading something in slam maybe where you guys did a obviously did a thing to promo it which is brilliant and and i'm assuming like people will be familiar with a lot of the pictures you know obviously and they're all in the book you know there's like penny and there's like there's there's um manzori like all over the rail like there's you know there's there's all the classic stuff and there's like all the american guys there's cairo over the nolly hard flip over the bar and all that stuff loads of the locals and that but wigs one of the things that's really interesting about it and wig talks about this in that slam thing is about like how skate stops it's been over the years as well and how it's evolved and that in and that in in a way is also the story of skateboarding in this country isn't it you know it's like a constant sort of battle even in a place like milton Keynes, where it was at one point accepted to the point where the council like built a plaza but then that's been stopped as well hasn't it at yeah point. so I was like about to say it's funny you know like so it's like this crazy evolution uh, and i think wig puts it so nicely he says something like you know you can't cage skateboarding i can't i'm paraphrasing you know he's mm. like again they've tried to sort of contain skateboarding and all it does is it gives us another reason to sort of progress and always, always. and that and that's such an amazing sentiment well that's kind of the reality that's what everyone that's what skaters know about skateboarding yeah. and that's what i really love about that project because that's what it basically captures like yeah it's a story of like it's a story of a scene it's a story about a set of obstacles it's a story about the people have come through there but it's really a story about british skateboarding isn't it and like how how that has evolved in the last 30 years and yeah i mean it's a great piece of work if you've not this is to anyone listening still available you should support it you should buy it still copies out there on a geeky on a geeky tip slight slight skate geeky question what's the best thing you ever saw at milton Keynes? i knew you were gonna ask that um okay what, what <laughs> that was okay. slightly flat that was slightly telegraph wasn't it no one? no it's, it's all right though i mean it's it's it I, i'm i'm like i say i'd said at the beginning i'm a skate rat and i kind of i'm a total geek and i you know i still i still fan out over you know guys that are really good and have done good stuff there but like probably one of the best things i've seen done at milton Keynes was um uh, Brian Anderson line from a girl skateboards tour in 2004 and it's on um it's on the I think it was called the tour was called all you meets girl in Manchester titled um it and he, he there's a, a spot called the brown bar which is now white <laughs> but um at the time it was brown and you've got the one that's a three stair in a bar and then you've got a hill and then you've got the one that's like an eight stair in a bar which is kind of like the the gnarly one but at the you've got the eight stair in the bar kind of this way where you would kind of come out into the road and then at 90 degrees to it you've got this huge handrail that i remember um a local guy called dean jasper caveman for a skateboard uh, the original skateboard magazine article in like 1990 or something but you can if you're brian anderson ollie out past this pillar that's in the way of it that's in the way of the natural line to ollie over it and ollie over the rail so he says i'm going to do this okay and we're like okay so i set up my camera for it <laughs> and then he decides yeah, right, the, 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 okay, you're going to do it, right, okay. Um, 
and then he decides he's going to do it at the end of a line. So he goes up to the, the first brown bar at the top of the hill, the small one I was talking about, and he's trying to frontside nolly over that. And he does that a couple of times, and then he kind of cruises down the hill and he does a switch 360 flip going downhill, about two foot high, like he can do. And then I think he maybe does like a half cab or something, and then the plan was to ollie the rail at the end. And of course, I'm there kind of sweating, thinking, oh, Jesus, like shooting this picture of Brian Anderson, like what if he just does it first try and I, I, the flash doesn't go off or I don't I don't get the picture or whatever. And, uh, you know, he's trying the front side nolly, can't do it, can't do it, suddenly does one. Okay, um, I think Ty Evans, the, you know, fucking best vid, like skate videographer at the time was filming this line, does a switch tray. Okay, shit, is bombing the hill now. Does the half cab. Oh my God, he's kind of on the run up for the rail. And I'm like, I remember just looking through my camera thinking, don't fuck this up, don't fuck this up. Ollie's over the rail, makes it first time. Everyone goes nuts. I've shot the photo. I'm just like, it's on film. I've got no idea whether I got it or not. He's not going to do it again. Luckily, the photo <laughs> came out. It was just, but it was one of those things that heart was in my mouth. I was like, he did it first try. I hope I fucking got that. I mean, I, I think what, what happened, what usually happened with these American tours was there was usually an American photographer there for Transworld or for Thrasher or whatever, who you'd be like, who would be shooting as well. So you wouldn't feel so, under so much pressure because I'd be shooting at the sidewalk. There'd be another guy who'd be like, okay, you know, he's, he's probably got the photo, it's fine. But when it's just you and you're like, shoot, you're the only photographer on there and everyone looks at you like, did you get the photo? And you're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, of course. Woo, high fives all around. And inside you're like dying thinking, fuck, I hope I got it. But yeah, it's that, I mean, that's just, yeah, just, just one example of it, I suppose. The print, the print days when you couldn't actually check. Yeah. And, and, and that's, but there's, I mean, you know, I always say there's something magic about film as well. Not, maybe not when you're under so much pressure, but like something magic about, going to the lab, putting the film through and actually seeing your pictures on the light box rather than kind of the instant gratification or non-gratification of shooting digital, you know, like, and that's the thing these days, like when you shoot a picture, everyone wants to see it straight away. So if you fuck it up, you're going to be like, Hey guys, look, it's shit, isn't it? I fucked it up. <laughs> but it's like, at least in the film days, you could be like, yeah, I've got to take it to the lab. I'll, uh, I'll show it you next week. And you could like scan it in and like maybe do Photoshop to it and make it look a bit better than it was before. But, um, but these days you're, you know, the proof is in the pudding and the pudding is right there straight away, unfortunately. So there you go. That was me and Leo Sharp and I hope you enjoyed it. Happy to say that my copy of issue two of The Skateboarder's Companion has now landed and a fine piece of work it is too. I highly, highly recommend you get your hands on a copy and support UK skateboarding. So head on over to The Skateboarder's Companion website to do just that. All right housekeeping corner time now if you're a newcomer and my skate episodes usually do bring in a whole raft of new listeners considering that you know my usual wheelhouse i said it doesn't mean i'm going to say pivot or deep dive though um is skateboarding and surfing so the skate episodes often attract like i say you know quite a few new listeners so if that's you Welcome to the part of the show that separates the casuals from the diehards where the part-timers switch off and the rest of us join together to say a huge thank fuck they've gone and get on with the real business of the podcast, which is Housekeeping Corner. Believe it or not, some listeners have confessed they actually listen to this part first and then go back to listen to the rest of the interview. If that's you, then I truly do salute you. All right, first up, it's a long one this, I'm going to warn you. Um, the books have landed Yes, Looking Sideways Volume 1 
is finally back from the printers and I've actually got physical copies in the house, as in literally in my house. I'm not using that as a metaphor. Now, as I speak, the rest of the books are making their way to the fulfillment center from where they'll be sent out to everyone who's pre-ordered. A huge thank you if that's you and a huge thank you for your patience as we negotiated some bumps in the road that we encountered on this self-publishing mission. I did talk a little bit about that in the last episode, um, but they're here. I'm happy. Gotta be honest, myself and Owen were pretty nervous when we unwrapped that first package. After all, I am aware that we've shifted a large number of books and garnered a shitload of press, largely off the back of me hyping the shit out of it, if I'm being honest. But now I've seen the first copies, we're both extremely proud and very excited for people to see it. If you've not ordered a copy of the book yet and you've been keeping your powder dry or you still need some convincing as to why you should purchase a book to support my free and ad-free podcast, you can find a blog about this exact topic over at my website www.wearelookingsideways.com. You can also find the page where you can order the actual book itself entitled Book Clever, eh? We've also got some new press coming out soon, including Condé Nast Traveller, Surf Simply, The Telegraph. I think Ben Powell's going to do us a slam blog, which is very generous, Ben. Thank you for that. Hook Magazine have done a podcast and some articles. There's, there's more. I'm forgetting some. Basically, thanks to every single person who's supported us in this endeavor. So next up is my episode with Lauren McCallan, which, as expected, had quite a reaction. I'm not going to go into the the topic of that because I've done that extensively on social media and indeed during the episode but the feedback has been mostly positive excuse me there has been some kickback particularly over on Facebook where a couple of European industry vets in particular who really should know better rather inelegantly proved the point we made during the actual conversation which is how impossible it is to have a nuanced conversation about topics like this without people screaming about cancel culture, wokeness, etc, etc. Yep, these two did start screaming about cancel culture and wokeness and in one case actually admit they'd not even heard the episode which was actually quite hilarious and so thanks for proving my point there. As a quick aside, yeah, I do have a Facebook page but because Facebook is such a, you know, viper's nest of anger and negativity, I very, very rarely look at it. I've realised over the years it just doesn't make me feel good and contributes nothing to the sum of my general well-being. I mean, even when I saw some of the comments on that thread, you know, I felt a kind of physical reaction at points, and it was all quite tame, really. The mistake I made in this case was connecting my Instagram account to my Facebook, which obviously then shared the Instagram post about Lauren over at Facebook, which then attracted the trolls. Anyway, I left it up, to be honest, because... One of the things I think are useful about this type of conversation are the way in which they do bring out these reactionary and frankly idiotic views out into the open. You know, the people who did soil themselves in public on that thread merrily walked into that trap, if you ask me, because I don't know if you notice, lads, but a lot of people read it and can see your opinions. And in the end, I think my old pal Ed Lee had the best take on it when he gave me a call to discuss this after listening to the episode and and clocking that thread, he subsequently sent me a message, which I think is worth reading out in full. 
it goes, I feel like aging is a cruel beast at the best of times. But right now there's been a cataclysmic shift in social values that separate generations. Suddenly people, hello lads, have become dinosaurs overnight. Relatively young people of our age aren't really ready to accept this change. They're now on the wrong side of history and they don't like it. In fact, it's galvanizing their beliefs, if anything. From the outside, it's easy to see this isn't right. But unused to being wrong and sorry not being an easy word to come by, it means they'll keep digging into their point of view. I couldn't agree more, Ed. And like I say, that's exactly why I left it up and why I tend to leave that type of comment up. Unless, of course, it does stray into genuine hate speech or useless trolling, in which case I delete it and I make no apologies for that. And I tend to block people these days as well. So there you go. Anyway, on the plus side, the overwhelming number of messages myself and Lauren received from people who took the episode in the right spirit more than outweighed the ructions caused by this extremely small minority. So if that was you and you did send me a message or you sent Lauren a message, thanks very much. It was much appreciated. Um, the very funny thing I've got to say about some of the criticisms and some of the use about cancel culture in the context of that episode and in the context of the whole Terrier thing in the first place is on what planet has Terrier Harkinson been cancelled? He just has not been cancelled. I mean, the episode that I did with him, which kind of sparked the whole thing in at my end, is still online. I mean, I've left it up. How is that cancelled anybody? And as far as I can see, his apology generally was glowingly praised and he's not had it's not like any of his sponsors have dropped him and neither should they no one wants to see him get cancelled to use this fucking dickish phrase but i do think you know some accountability and some self-analysis is just kind of what humans should be doing really and it doesn't involve cancelling anyone and i think you know, so often people, when they use the phrase cancel culture, actually just mean mild criticism, which is really all that Terry was on the receiving end of, really. So, I mean, the whole thing is just fucking ludicrous, really. So that's all I've got to say about that. And that's probably all I will say about that from this point, because I've fucking said a lot. Speaking of feedback, tenuous segue alert. I also did receive from welcome feedback from a couple of listeners over the last couple of weeks who were politely critical of what they see as my tendency to interrupt my guests too often and generally contribute too much to the conversations, which I do think is an important word I set up and steward for this ad-free and free podcast. It's come up a couple of times over the years, this observation, and I do think, as with most criticisms, there's some truth in it. That's one of the things I really liked in that Kevin Kelly 50 bits of unsolicited advice or whatever it is. It might be 99 bits, but either way, if you do Kevin Kelly advice search, you'll find it. It's doing the rounds. There's a point on that which says your best response to an insult is you're probably right. Often they are. I think there's a lot of truth in that. The truth is, in this case, I do interrupt people. I do talk too much. I do sometimes show narcissistic tendencies. I mean, fuck me. I started a podcast and I'm 10 minutes into a rant assuming people want to listen. So there's that. And I'm often guilty of not listening. What can I say? I'm a human being. But I'll keep it in mind. And if there's something you've noticed is problematic, then I do hope it's not ruining your enjoyment of the podcast too much. I was heartened to see that it didn't turn up on the podcast bingo thread over at Instagram the other day. Because if it was really a problem, 
than it would have done. And I got absolutely fucking slayed over there. Again, quite rightly. So there you go. All right, finally, I've overhauled my newsletter and blog. Yeah, as I mentioned every now and again, I have a newsletter and I have a blog. I also have a YouTube channel if you're interested. Don't really um, do that much with that though other than upload the video chats when and where I do them. Anyway, to be honest, I've been wanting to change things up with the newsletter and the blog for a while. I mean, I've not got enough platforms in my life to manage as it is. So I switched the whole thing over to Substack, which is kind of a combination blog and newsletter platform. At the minute, it looks to me like it's a better version of Medium and a way better version of the the platform I was using for my newsletter, which was Campaign Monitor, which I thought was shit, to be honest. First things first, this is a much more pleasant reading experience than all of those things. Um, so there's that. But also, I'm hoping it means the frankly amazing blog content I've had on the site for a while, and which really doesn't get enough love, will get a bit more traction. So here's how it's going to work from now on. Every fortnight, I'm going to send out a newsletter with the 10 things I think are worth sharing that week. Every other fortnight, I'm going to share a longer form piece from myself or one of my guests. If you like the podcast, you'll probably like the newsletter. That's what people tell me. Anyone head, head on anyway, even head on over to my website and hit the newsletter tab to sign up. You can even have a read first to make sure you like what you're getting yourself in for. Told you that was a long one. Bumper housekeeping corner episode there. Big thanks for listening. Um, I will be back soon. I do have a week in Pembrokeshire booked for the end of May. So I might just take the rest of the month off, but we'll see. Um, in the meantime, you can find me at We Look Sideways over at Instagram. You can email me at podcast at wearelookingsideways.com with any feedback, good or bad. Have a good one. Nice one. Nice one.